Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. In this week's episode of Holistic Health Chats, I'm speaking with Lexi McPhee, naturopath and acne expert. In this week's episode, Lexi and I are talking about the different root causes of acne, including the role of the gut and your hormones in acne, as well as different food triggers, which, as she says, can be the fuel on the fire with acne. And we also cover a variety of different healing strategies, depending on what, of course, your root cause is. If you currently suffer with acne or you know someone who does, please share this episode with them and please know that there is always a solution and a path to healing. You'll find all the links to getting in touch with Lexi as well as her upcoming program, Clear and Confident, in the show notes. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, if you're currently wanting to get some personalized advice to support you with your hormones or preconception care, the best place to start is by booking in a complimentary consultation. This is a 15-minute consultation with yours truly, me, and we will discuss your current health goals or challenges, what you can expect from consultations, and also the likely time frame in order to help you achieve your goals. We'll also have time to cover any questions that you might have about working together. So if you're happy to go ahead in that appointment, we will find a time for your initial consultation, but equally, if you need time to think about it, that is perfectly fine. There is absolutely no pressure. To book in a complimentary consultation, all you need to do is head over to selenedouglas.com forward slash links, or you can find this link in the show notes as well. I hope to meet you soon. Hi, Lexi, and welcome to the show. Hi, Selene. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So today we're talking about acne, which I know is a big passion of yours. But before we get into it, I'd love if you could share a bit of an intro to you, your story, and also your business as well, and, and how you're helping your clients in clinic. Sure. So yes, so as I mentioned, my name is Lexi, and I, if you've seen me ever before, it's probably through my Instagram account, which is at Clear Skin with Lexi. So as the name implies, I work a lot, pretty much exclusively with women who are suffering from acne. So I'm a qualified naturopath. And so that's my primary modality. And I run a digital clinic, which means that I treat everyone online, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's all done through Zoom. So I run you know, initial consultations over Zoom video call and helping women out with their skin. So that's the, the major part of my practice, I suppose. But in the last year, I've also released my online course or online program, which is Confident and Clear. So I'm starting to build a few different layers to, to my practice and give people a few different options for working with me. So that's, I guess, a little bit of my, my history. But yeah, I started focusing on acne coming up four years now after after my own my own experience with it. I was like, why aren't I why am I treating this <laughs> more? So so that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Amazing. And we working with all sorts of clients before then and then sort of specifically niche down, as they say, into acne. 
Mm, yeah, I was definitely a bit more of a generalist as I was working out uh, what I what I enjoyed treating and what I was attracting. Sometimes you don't really have yeah. much choice, you know, the, <laughs> you just end up um, attracting the same sort of client over and over again. So that did start to happen a little bit with acne, but I did start, you know, mainly working with women uh, sort of in the same realm as you. So mm-hmm. hormonal conditions and I was always interested in, in preconception care and fertility. But I started getting a handful of acne clients here and there and I was also looking for something a little more specific because I think it's better for everyone if you if you get really good at one thing and the, the client ends up getting a better result and I feel like it's uh, less research and less work on me as well. So I'm, I like to be efficient yes. <laughs> and try and do one thing really well. So that's sort of prompted me to niche down but yeah I think it's such a fascinating condition and and when you're treating the skin even though it's a specific condition like acne you're not really treating the skin you end up treating everything else as well the the gut the hormones the mental health side of things the diet so you still get a bit of everything yeah absolutely I think with everything in our field it's not really like even if you're talking to one symptom or one imbalance or whatever it is whether it's PCOS or you know SIBO or whatever it is Mm. There's so many different facets to it that you actually are still working on all of the body systems, even though perhaps your marketing or whatever it is Mm. might not necessarily be depicting that. Exactly. And, you know, acne is what gets people through the door because it is such a debilitating condition. Yeah. But it's all the other less visible symptoms and causes that we end up treating that are a bit more easy for people to ignore. Yes, definitely. Or they might not even, sometimes they're not even really aware of aware of it, aware of what's causing it at all. So I guess that's a good segue into what are the key or most common, I suppose, like root causes of acne and skin conditions that you would see in clinic? So it is never just one thing. It's um you, you you've hit the jackpot if it is just one thing because it's gonna be easier to resolve. But I like to think about acne and and skin conditions as being on a bit of a pyramid. So if you imagine, you know, your skin it's on the outside of your body, it's gonna be that external manifestation of everything going on underneath. So if we think about what most directly influences the skin and, and acne, most people think straight hormones. You know, they are oh, got hormonal acne. We think about hom- like hormonal treatments like the pill and this kind of thing. So for most people, there is going to be a hormonal driver and, and that might be, you know, uh, androgens like testosterone or stress hormones like cortisol or, you know, blood sugar hormones like insulin. Mm-hmm. But we want to go one layer deeper and think about, okay, well, if this acne is being driven by hormones, what's beneath that? Why, mm. <laughs> why, is, why is there excess hormone hanging around or why are we producing too much of it or not clearing it or not detoxifying it or whatever the problem with the hormone is? If there's an imbalance there, why is that? And then we go one layer deeper and in naturopathy, you know, we always say start with the gut. When in doubt, mm. start with the gut, go straight there. And most of the time if there's a hormonal issue or a hormonal driver with acne, there's going to be a, a deeper root cause and that's often in the gut. So I guess to really simplify it, you could even say the number one cause is is an issue in the gut, whether that's mm. gut inflammation or um, an overgrowth in the gut microbiome or sluggish detoxification through the gut and the liver. Like mm. it all sort of comes down to there and then um, thinking about that pyramid again, if we have that gut health and inflammation on the bottom level, that's going to affect the middle level of the hormones, which is going to go on and and drive, you know, sebum and oil production in the skin mm. and inflammation in the skin and the process of that pimple forming. You know, it's a long way around and it can take months to get there even. But yeah, I always think about the gut from the start. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, you're 
hit the nail on the head there you have to always ask why like you have to be that kind Mm. of like annoying two-year-old being like Mm, why why? (laughs) but why (laughs) and yeah it is I think really easy to look at you know it being one thing or maybe like food triggers I know that's a really common one people will Mm. think like um and and not to say that it's not food triggers but Usually, there's why, a reason why yeah, you're why reacting to yeah, yeah. What that is it food? Is that food actually triggering? Like, what is the process in between? Yes, um, yeah. What and, and I can see layers in my head in like a flowchart almost. But regular person trying to figure it out, it can yeah be like a minefield for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I guess then if we talk about like the gut being that kind of bottom of the pyramid, then you broke that up into sort of like detox pathways, dysbiosis and inflammation. Mm, yeah, that, that would be the big three things because the, that that is all going to affect your hormone balance and how much hormone you're producing. But also a lot of the time it's not actually an issue of excess production like we think about you know with my if you've done any looking into the the causes of acne you'll read about testosterone and how that can drive excess oil and and keratin in the skin and we get the skin you know getting clogged up and infected and and you think okay well I need to reduce my production of testosterone that's a often a very simplified kind of thing that people go down but I actually see more common than people producing too much testosterone is you're not they're not able to detoxify and clear it effectively which means that if you can't get it out of the body you're going to have a higher level circulating around the blood and that means your skin's exposed to more of that testosterone so um, this is why it can be so confusing for people who go and get their testosterone checked at the doctor and it's normal but or you know even just average middle of the range or or whatever but they're they still have they can still have testosterone driven acne it's more of an issue with what the skin is doing with that hormone, how it's metabolizing it. And then if we have a lot of gut inflammation or an overgrowth of less beneficial bacteria in the gut or leaky gut or, you know, constipation or kidney and and even difficulties with urination, that kind of thing, you're going to be detoxifying and clearing that, that testosterone less effectively. I'm trying not to get too biological with the whole thing. Of course. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to keep it, uh, keep it simple. But yeah, so I guess to give a little bit more detail on that, the way that we detoxify and clear testosterone in the body is through a process called sulfation. And that is where the liver takes that um, broken down testosterone and binds it to, you know, a, a sulfur, a sulfur group. And so once that testosterone is bound to the sulfur, it can be cleared out through the urine and out through, you know, through the the gut Mm -hmm. and the bowels as well. However, if there's that sulfation process will be slowed down or um, significantly reduced by the presence of insulin resistance and blood Mm -hmm. sugar issues and inflammation, um, most of which is coming from the gut. So again, yeah, most of our, most of our hormonal issues and detox issues do start with that gut inflammation. Yeah. And are there any particular, like, we'll talk about functional testing soon, but are there any particular like blood tests you're looking at that met like nutrients and things that might also affect that sulfation pathway? Yeah, definitely. So with blood testing, like I'll, I, I, I like to offer everyone the option of doing some mm. blood testing because it's such a 
great tool and most of the time can be bulk build. So it's um, yes, free, Australia. So, yeah, so a lot of really valuable information can come out of that. So the things that I'm looking for in blood testing when it comes to sulfation and whether someone is able to detoxify that testosterone is things like their B12 levels. So, mm-hmm. so that sulfation pathway in the liver requires um, sulfur. So from foods like eggs and garlic and mm-hmm. onion can be helpful. Also from things like N-acetylcysteine or NAC. Yes, but <laughs> everyone's other, probably heard yeah, about that recently. Very popular, <laughs> very popular at the moment. But that pathway, that detox pathway also requires good levels of folate and B12 and magnesium and our other B vitamins. So we can get a good idea from just some routine blood testing, what the B12 levels are doing, what the folate levels are doing. And also by looking at, you know, red blood cell health and, mm-hmm. and um, we can get a good idea of someone's nutrient status. And yeah, lots of clues, lots of clues in the blood tests. Definitely. And outside of, say, acne in, say, someone that maybe their acne is being driven by this androgen excess mm. and issues in with, say, gut dysbiosis or detoxification of that of those androgens, like what are some of those other symptoms that you might be seeing alongside that that would, I guess, lead you to think, okay, cool, we need to get these blood tests done. If it's more androgen driven? Yeah, yeah, androgen driven. Mm, so lots of uh, the classic signs are going to be acne that's presenting in those androgen sensitive areas. So mm-hmm. the chest, the back and the shoulders, the neck, the jawline, the chin, the lower cheeks. These um, areas of skin are more sensitive to to testosterone so they can be more affected yeah. uh, and then we're also thinking about that kind of those those pcos type symptoms the excess hair growth dark coarse hair irritability and mood swings even hair loss from the scalp and then thinking about okay if it is driven by androgen excess and we know that there's often insulin resistance or stress wrapped up in all of that mm-hmm. so you can also look a little bit further afield and go okay well how's the what's the person's body composition like do we know that there's cravings and issues with um, managing blood sugar and energy swings or is there anxiety or a highly stressful lifestyle yeah so even looking um, in those areas to try and narrow down what might be going on yeah yeah definitely and that comes back to I guess like everything in the body being connected and we're mm. looking to make those connections for you in consultations. And then typically in terms of like functional testing, do you do Mm. like GI mapping or that kind of testing? Mm, Yeah. So uh, in terms of functional testing, I either run, yeah, stool testing or Mm -hmm. microbiome testing. Yeah. Or uh, I like the Dutch dried Mm -hmm. urine hormone test. So Although what I do find is that often it's most efficient to go straight to some sort of gut or stool testing yeah. because in the end, if you run something like a Dutch hormone test and and there are issues with estrogen excess or you know, poor clearance of androgens or whatever, we often there is still gut work to be done. <laughs> so yeah. if you take care of that lower bottom half of the pyramid um, and take care of the microbiome and the, and the gut, the hormones are more likely to take care of themselves. Yeah, ultimately it's going back to that whole root cause thing, Mm. right, which is kind of going, yeah, if we're looking at Dutch testing, which in some cases might be the best test for that particular person, Mm -hmm. but in other instances it's kind of like, well, we actually want to know what's going on beneath that. Mm. Especially if the person has digestive issues. Like some people are going to come in and, you know, you take their case and there's a lot of IBM or constipation or bloating or, or food sensitivities and you go, okay, well, we're going to start there either way. So it's probably not worthwhile putting money into hormone testing. We yeah. know 
we always know there's going to be things to work on in the gut in that case. So let's start with that. And then down the line, if we're not getting the improvements that we're looking for, maybe um, the Dutch testing then. Yeah. Um, and then you get those cases that you're like, this person's got a better better bowel movement and digestive story than I do <laughs> as a naturopath. Yeah. And, um, and there's clearly some hormonal issues going on. And for you, the best spend is going to be the Dutch test. So you're always working on a case by case. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, it's we're obviously always recommending the the most appropriate test at that point in time for that person. And yeah, I've personally had instances where someone, at least their explanation of their gut is that they don't have any gut symptoms and that their bowel movements are perfect and, oh, you know, yes. Bristol stool, <laughs> you know. But, Type three. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, you know, A plus on the bowel mm. movements and all of that. Mm. But then for whatever reason, they've pushed themselves to go no no I really want to know what's going on just for interest sake and like yeah. horrific yeah. things that you find yeah. oh yeah so at yeah. the same time you kind of go sometimes like uh, either is the person which isn't uncommon I think in this day and age like quite out of touch with yeah. perhaps their own body and their own symptoms mm. and how they're feeling mm. day to day or are there these types of people that maybe they are quite asymptomatic in their gut symptoms but it's actually mm. kind of being reflected in other ways yes definitely and I see both I see both of that so whenever yeah. anybody comes in going you know ask oh is there any anything uh, bothering you about your digestion no no okay I'm like I'm gonna ask you my full 30 questions anyway yes <laughs> what comes up and so that just usually gives me more impetus to ask some really nitty-gritty questions about poo and bowel movements and what yeah they yeah and what I they feel like because there's always something but then you do get, like you say, those people that oh, I can't fault their digestion and we do a stool test anyway and there's, yeah, you know, some levels are through the roof or there's leaky yeah. And, yeah, it's quite, it's so interesting. And then when we treat what shows up in the testing, even if they haven't got bloating or constipation or any mm. issues, when we treat the microbiome, we get improvement. So it can be such a mystery still sometimes. I know. Yeah, it's, I just I have a client that comes to mind last year actually who had no sort of not acne related but no symptoms at all digestively or in their words, no symptoms at all. And we obviously went through all the rigmarole and then mm. when we did the GI map, they had ridiculously high levels of H. pylori mm-hmm. and in treating that, their psoriasis eventually went away. Yeah. So it's just yeah. really interesting that sometimes – there might not necessarily be any symptoms or that person might not be recognising them. But, yeah, ultimately we always want to think about what that root cause is and with any skin issues, the gut is a huge part. (laughs) And I often, like, I often see that, like, if I've got a case that, everything is screaming to me that this is gut driven, but there's no digestive symptoms, you know, we, we go and give it a go anyway with that gut work and, Mm. and yeah, get the change. And that, that can be, I think a good example of that is also with like levels of beta-glucuronidase, which is yeah. an enzyme that impacts your your ability to move estrogen out of the body. So we clear estrogen through our bowel movements, but there's an enzyme in the gut that can sort of undo and sabotage that process, meaning that you end up absorbing that estrogen back into circulation. So people can have all these symptoms of estrogen excess and premenstrual syndrome and acne and mood swings and teariness and sore breasts and heavy bleeds mm. and all this kind of thing. And it's because of this this enzyme that might not necessarily produce symptoms in the gut. Yeah, so we test, definitely. yeah, so I guess a part of my story, part of my boring long-winded story there is that, yeah, <laughs> no symptoms in the, in the digestion, but when we do the stool testing and we, we see that high enzyme level 
and treat that, we start getting the improvement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We see that a lot of the time. And just switching gears a little bit on like the food side of things, are there particular foods that you look at that you think people with acne might be better off removing or particular, you know, air quote trigger foods that you commonly see that can at least contribute to, might not necessarily be the cause, but might Mm. contribute to acne? Yeah, I like to think about food as having the ability to add fuel to the fire. Like sometimes yeah. it's like throwing petrol on a garbage fire and, you know, the quick, the easiest thing and the, the most immediate thing that you can do is remove some of that fuel. And there are a few foods that sort of create the perfect storm for acne. Part of the, part of the, drive, the driver of acne is how glucose is handled in the body and how it's almost uh, some practitioners including myself consider acne to be almost like a diabetes of the skin or a metabolic Mm, syndrome of the skin so if we think about again what is going to create the perfect environment in the skin for acne with that sebum flow and keratin production and inflammation and infection we're thinking about things that increase inflammation and so our, our common inflammatory foods refined sugar dairy high gi refined carbohydrates the big three these and these are found in such high quantities in the, in the western diet so we we don't actually see very high rates or much acne at all in in cultures and diets that are less westernized and, mm-hmm. and follow more paleolithic style diets so yeah i mean chocolate a, a cadbury milk chocolate is the perfect storm <laughs> a lot of you know a lot of doctors will say no no that's you know myth chocolate doesn't cause acne and it might not be the cacao itself that does it but it's the the, the dairy, the yeah. huge amount of sugar and the saturated fat that is going to trigger that insulin response and, and create more inflammation that goes on to trigger keratin and sebum in the skin and inflammation and all of that. So, yeah, those are those, are those big three ingredients that and they're the ones that I'm going to see make the most difference when people replace yeah. them. Yeah, I see dairy. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely does. Yeah. I very commonly see dairy mm. and I would say typically you do see that then like linked perhaps with more of an insulin resistant type picture. Potentially you've got like PCOS as well going on as well, but definitely the insulin resistant picture as well, I think goes quite like hand in hand with people who Mm. might be more reactive to those sorts of foods. But I don't know if you find this, but I often find with a dairy conversation, people say, oh, I don't really eat much dairy. And then you work it out Mm. and it's like, they have whey protein in their smoothie. And then they have, you know, a bit of cheese with dinner and then like a little bit here and here. And you like add it up throughout the day, most days. Mm. And and Mm. it, it actually is quite a bit and there's nothing inherently wrong with dairy per se I don't think but it's just mm. some people obviously yeah certainly can't tolerate it yeah and skin goes. yeah and same people are forgetting about the way the way protein is such a big one and then you know it take it can take I think I read somewhere it can take up to 36 hours for that lactose and casein which are those inflammatory mm. proteins in dairy to be completely cleared from the body mm. so even if you're having a serve or two every other day you know, yes. it could still be having an effect. Yeah. But I think the the high GI carbohydrates, so you know, things like pastries and biscuits and oh, um, yeah. even <laughs> even like savory snack foods like crackers and and potato chips and things Which like that, the, that. For the most part are full of vegetable oils and things. As yeah, well. <laughs> the, the industrial seed oils. Like we've got to be thinking about what is up regulating that inflammation on yeah. a skin cell level. 
And it's not always the sweet junk foods. It can be the savory yeah. ones as well, which a lot of people are going to be unhappy to hear because they're like, oh, I don't really have much of a sweet tooth. You know, I'm, I'm more of a savory gal. And I'm like, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about um, this. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. And let's talk about where there's added sugar and what is considered added sugar because even yeah. people who think that they're not eating much sugar are going to be having a very often going to have um, a lot of sneaky high GI. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think bars and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think people don't often realise, I don't know if you find this in clinic, but I often find mm. it's like a big light bulb for people when they work out like obviously to varying extents, but like all mm. carbohydrates are going to turn into sugar in your bloodstream and yes. people go like, what? Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> what Pasta, do you mean? Bread. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so to them, in their mind, they're like, I don't really eat much sugar. But in your mm. mind, you're seeing like bread here, pasta here, piece of fruit here, and then like yeah. some crackers here. And you're like, there is so much sugar coming in. Yeah, yeah. And I and then teaching people how to read labels and then mm. actually going, did you know how much sugar is in this? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did. But yeah, that, that quick conversion of those easily broken down carbohydrates into glucose in the blood, like I find that a really helpful explanation to take people yes. through to give yeah. them idea of um, of how those just tr- traditional Western foods can be such big triggers for the skin, like, you know, the English muffins with yeah. Vegemite for breakfast and washed down with a coffee and all of that kind of thing. It, a lot of re-education around, around diet and that sugar isn't just about lollies and chocolate. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And I think as well, like with those all those inflammatory foods, it's a good, I think, experiment for people really regardless of whether they're experiencing acne to perhaps um, maybe not all at once, but, you know, play around with um, short-term removal of those foods just to see how you feel. Because I see all the time in clinic, if we suspect maybe dairy is part of the, as you would say, fuel on the fire with acne, we might remove it. And maybe it makes some of a difference in some people, but they come back to you and they're like, I don't get bloated anymore. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I notice my bowel movements aren't loose anymore. So like all of these sorts of additional little symptoms I suppose that you might notice you feel better off these foods but you don't actually know until you kind of yeah have that first-hand experience yeah yep and sometimes you don't even realize that you're experiencing symptoms until they're gone yes and you you, you know you realize that you didn't feel that great all along actually like because that's a big one you know with with diet and you hear it sometimes maybe not from clients who are usually have more of a, uh, you know, they're more interested in the natural health and yes. the, the nutrition and that kind of thing. But from the general public who go, oh, well, I eat X, Y, Z and I feel great. And I'm like, but do you, like, <laughs> do you know how good you could feel? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, always interesting. Mm, <laughs> it's yeah. good. I think it's good for people to do those little experiments on themselves and, and sort of see what they feel like. And then often I yeah. find it's when people um, revert back to the original food that then they realize perhaps mm. how it was making them feel because they kind of go, oh yeah, you know, I think I feel different. And then they might go and, you know, eat that gluten or eat that dairy or whatever it is. And then they come back to you and they're like, whoa, I really noticed how it was actually yeah. making me feel. And the way I explain it to people is like, if you're having a little bit of something that makes you feel like shit every day, you that just becomes your new normal. You yeah, don't actually yeah. realize like that's just, you just think that's how your body feels day to day. But if you remove it, say for 30 days, you've got a really clear slate to work with. And so then mm. when you try and reintroduce that food, whatever reaction you might have to it or intolerance you might have to it becomes starkly clear to you. Yeah. Yeah, really obvious. And you're not going to get that, especially if you've 
been having just a little bit of dairy since you were two years old like yeah. you, you don't know what it's what it's yeah. like and same with caffeine same with sugar I think it's good to take it back to baseline every now and then and go mm-hmm. okay who am I without the stimulant or without yeah. the the sugar or whatever is keeping me mm. <laughs> cool and then on the like foods that help our skin sort of thing are there any particular foods or even nutrients really that you're looking at optimizing in your clients with acne Mm, I guess the biggest one or the first thing that comes to mind is any food that is anti-inflammatory because Mm. a lot of the time acne is going to present as really inflamed, you know, red, painful, swollen, pussy, angry lesions. And so the more that you can do to reduce inflammation in the skin, at least while you resolve those underlying causes, the less red and inflamed and severe the acne is going to be. So, you know, Fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids found in fish oil is one of the biggest ones. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the the first things that I get my really inflamed acne patients onto a really good therapeutic dose of omega-3 because it also is helping to reduce that specific skin inflammation, but it also helps to regulate the oil flow. It's supportive to that insulin and hormonal excess if that's coming from the ovaries or wherever else. So that's a really good all-rounder. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also want to think about I like to think about things from a bit of an energetic perspective as well Mm -hmm. so if we have a really red inflamed angry mucous membrane in the skin often that's going to be mirrored in the mucous membranes of the guts so how can we cool and soothe and calm down those mucous membranes with things like cucumber and aloe vera juice aloe vera juice is great topically as well as orally for for most people so those kinds of foods are sort of underrated but thinking about any of those cooling colorful fruits and vegetables we want those brightly colored fruits and vegetables because they they have an inherently antioxidant anti-inflammatory effect so um fruits like papaya and and what's the other one that i'm Oh, pineapple <laughs> with those anti-inflammatory enzymes. So they're, they're great. And then foods that are going to give you those sulfur compounds. So the brassica family vegetables are a good example of that. You know, your Brussels yep. sprouts and broccoli, cauliflower, kale, um, garlic and onion, if you can tolerate them. And if you can't, then big, big. Yeah, that's food. a big red flag. <laughs> yeah, that, that your acne is going to be gut driven. So yeah. if there's any of the if you go oh no I can't eat that or I can't eat eggs or every time I eat the brassica veggies I get terrible gas like those symptoms those symptoms are giving you more and more clues that there's going to be you know start with that gut before you um, worry about the hormones yeah for sure if you're reacting to any like benign foods as in foods that should be healthy for you that is like your biggest like wrong way go back sign that yeah you know yeah. you need to look at yeah. your gut and work with the practitioner in order to correct that because yeah um yeah that's certainly a lot more concerning for me than when I you know someone might be like oh I feel sick every time I eat fast food and I'm like that's not a bad thing that's <laughs> your, your body's yeah. meant to do that <laughs> that sounds that's a good right. thing that's, yeah 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 that checks out yeah. Um, yeah. So the, and, and saying when people come on a really, they've already, they're already on a really restricted diet, like yes. um, they've, they've gone vegan or low FODMAP, FODMAP not, yeah. not necessarily because, or maybe there's an ethical element there with the veganism, but if people are telling me that they've had to cut out meat or, or whatever, cause I can't digest it, then that's a yeah. big red flag to me as well, because 80% of people with acne or some other skin condition aren't producing enough stomach acid and digestive enzymes. So if you're not able to tolerate the heavier, more protein dense foods, or it feels like meat sits in your stomach like a rock. Those are all signs that it's not the, the food's fault, but your capacity mm. to digest it. And rather than 
eliminating those foods, which are the ones that are really rich in the the B12 and those minerals yeah. and vitamins that you need to for, for healthy skin, um, is to correct the digestion so that you can tolerate them and get the, the incredible nutrition out of it. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask, are there any like myths? Like I, you just mentioned the meat side of things, which is something I'm always mm. curious about because often people in conversations in clinic and things like that, you know, you'll hear these really interesting sort of, I don't know whether they come from online or where they come from, but sort of, yeah, myths and things, I suppose, around um, meats and inflammatory foods and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to know if you could you speak to that a little bit and anything that you particularly see that's um, like a misconception, I guess, around those foods. Mm, I think, uh, yeah, a common one is going vegetarian or cutting out meat or reducing meat. Mm. Um, and I I, I get the mechanism there because one of the drivers of that inflammation that can increase the oil and sebum and keratin in the skin can be saturated fat. Mm-hmm. So we go, okay, well, what's high in saturated fat meat, cut out mm-hmm. meat. <laughs> but I think you're better off actually reducing or avoiding the high GI carbohydrates and keeping the meat because yeah. um, especially high quality meat. So I think what's more important is what is the quality of the fat in the animal products that you're eating and if you're eating you know poor quality mass produced ground meat that is being fed on grain and all that kind of Mm. thing the the fatty acid profile in that meat is going to be much much more inflammatory than the fatty acid profile in grass-fed and finished quality organic meat so I think it's more about quality and I also like to refer back to how in cultures that have evolved on more of a paleolithic diet or still follow that more paleolithic diet with um, meat greens and avoiding grains dairy that kind of thing they have almost no incidence of acne so I actually think it's more important to avoid sugar than saturated fat from meat yeah I 100% agree and I always think it's really interesting online you see a lot which I'm not saying greens and things aren't good for your liver function but I just think often a lot of what can be promoted for liver function and detoxification completely ignores like the actual science and mechanism of how those pathways work. Like you literally need amino acids from protein Mm. in order to basically like, I imagine nutrients and things that we break down as kind of like the currency of the body. Mm. And in order to like fund those pathways, if you want to think about it, like a currency exchange, like you're talking about Mm. that sulfation pathway, Mm. like, Mm. We need, say, cysteine, which comes mm-hmm. from amino uh, is an amino acid in protein, and say we need mm-hmm. zinc from, which is going to be highest. Yeah, zinc, yep. zinc, like literally for our stomach acid, ironically, yep. to yes. break down those foods, which is highest yep. in beef and lamb. So yeah, I yep. do come across that a bit, and I I think it's just really interesting because greens are helpful, greens, of course, greens. they're important like protein is just also a really important part of the picture in you know sort of allowing your metabolic pathways to actually work properly absolutely crucial and for that insulin balance and blood sugar regulation as well protein is essential i this is a really interesting point and i think a lot of it when you think about detox fads and that kind of thing green juicing celery juicing (laughs) celery juicing is gone where's that gone Oh, it's oh, is it? <laughs> is it? Oh, maybe um, I've just I think not it's a big seen it much. <laughs> I still get it. I still get a few. Med- have you have you ever heard of the medical medium? I think there's a big emphasis on like purity or clean, mm-hmm. like that. Those kind of words when it comes to health, at least in the when I was first studying, like a lot of the fads running through and a lot of the kind of propaganda for those propping up those kinds of greens for liver yes. and that kind of thing is this 
idea of clean eating. I hope I'm communicating this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the I idea that there's like clean food and dirty food and mm. greens are clean and, you know, maybe meat isn't. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be a huge movement back, back towards more pro-metabolic eating and a lot more of good quality meats and fats and fat-soluble vitamins and that kind of thing in a way from a really stripped back vegetarian diet i don't know if you are you vegetarian <laughs> no no i'm not i was but, for a number yeah. of years but i haven't been mm. since i was like 21 or something like yeah, that yeah same i we i think we've all had a vegetarian yeah i think point. all nutritionists and naturopaths <laughs> like went through that and yeah. then realized it maybe wasn't the best option yeah. for them health-wise yeah. and sort of yeah. reverted back to you know including quality proteins yeah and again yeah quality is everything and yeah yeah so that's a really really interesting conversation that I'm having with a lot of my clients at the moment because you do have uh vegan and vegetarian yeah. clients come through and they want to know oh is there a vegetarian alternative to fish oil and I'm like not really and sometimes and I don't like to I just don't believe that you can get the same sort of therapeutic response from things like flaxseed oil while it's helpful no. you know a good inclusion but if you're looking or even algal oils and that kind of thing mm. like if you're looking for a you know, to see an improvement in the skin in four to six weeks, you're really looking at quite high dose um, fish yeah. oil and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we just really can't compare. And not to say, I don't want to say that you can't do vegan or vegetarian healthy. It's just a lot harder. And we just, you honestly just cannot compare. It's like apples and oranges. It's just not the same thing. Like I think you, we often see online and particularly on Instagram and stuff like that, uh, I, I probably unfollowed a lot of those things now, so I don't see them anymore. <laughs> I used to mm. see sort of, you know, the comparison of even say something like iron in beef or lamb, um, comparing it to the same amount of milligrams in broccoli or spinach. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Like when you actually understand sort of like the different forms that we might absorb that in and then the conversion pathways that your body yeah. needs to actually put that plant-based uh, nutrient into in order to get it to something that your body can use. Mm. It's just really not comparing. Um, not compute. No, yeah. it, it is not, yeah. not a fair comparison at all. So it's definitely more difficult. And yeah, I would just always like to kind of squish that myth that meat is like inherently bad for you because mm. it's definitely not. There's a lot of beneficial things that we get from it and certainly if it's within your means like quality is really really important um yeah. in order yeah. to ensure so that nutrient dense so yes. good yeah. <laughs> and again like taking it back to if you've gone vegetarian or whatever and you're like I feel so much better for cutting out meat mm. it's really not going to be about the meat it's going to be about your enzyme and acid production your ability yes. to digest that meat I just keeps coming back to that and I think people might feel really, really well for like maybe the first couple of months when they've gone vegetarian, but it, the the deficits and the nutrient depletion can take years to absolutely take effect. So by then, people are not even linking it to the change in diet that might have happened a couple of years ago, but can still be related to to deficiencies like yeah. you know, the iron and the B twelve and the vitamin A and essential fats or protein. That yes, you can. There's great sources of plant protein but are you combining them in the right way to make sure that you get all the amino acids that you need for all the the many different functions in the body yeah absolutely it can take a while and I think as well the feeling better is multifactorial because there is that psychological component where if someone thinks that that food is like you were saying before dirty or unclean or bad for you or what have you mm. then there's I think there is a psychological component where people might 
feel better or think they feel better because Mm. of that. And then also sometimes you see that, well, maybe they're including, you know, because they've taken this kind of new approach to their health, they've made other dietary changes in amongst that where maybe now they're like um, including more um, vegetables, more high quality food, all of that kind of thing. Because you've got to eat. So yeah, it's like, (laughs) is it, do you feel better because you removed the meat or do you feel better because you're actually eating more plant foods on that kind of thing? Like, Mm. yeah, I think it's, it's definitely multi, multi multifactorial. Yeah, definitely. And then yeah, if you if you've gone the the whole hog and gone vegan, then you know you're removing a lot of snack foods and yes. foods that would contain dairy or eggs or whatever. So suddenly you're not eating chocolate and biscuits and things For that sure. you might have before. So yeah, yeah, lots to it. Definitely, and we can't. We just, as you know, like we can't be so reductionistic about it. Like it's not just down to milligrams of a nutrient, no. but how well you're able to absorb it and convert it. And yeah, and then are you giving that that dietary change? a solid amount of time to actually see change in the skin because the skin's on the outside of the body. It's further away from the digestive system and the vital Mm -hmm. organs. And and so it's going to be, unfortunately, less of a priority in terms of nutrient delivery. So it might be your biggest priority, you know, the person listening to this, like Mm -hmm. the skin is, you know, it's out, it's so visible. It's a huge priority for you, but from your body's perspective, like if you've been in a nutrient depleted state for a long enough period of time, your body's got a lot of other high priority functions. And so you need to make dietary changes or be giving supplements and things like that a go for at least you know 12 to 16 weeks sometimes before expecting to see any change in the skin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say there. I just had one more question and it's completely gone from my mind um that's all right but, <laughs> I can keep rattling on until it comes back yeah to I'm sure it will. oh yeah. that was yeah, yeah yeah that was it just on the timeline side of things like that was my last question sort of is there a general recommendation you sort of and I know this would be totally dependent on a case-by-case basis yeah. but with changes that you might be introducing, how long should people really be sort of like sticking with that change in order to expect to see a difference if that particular strategy is working for them? Mm. Are we talking dietary or? Yeah, it's always going to depend. Let's do both yeah, dietary yeah, and, and other, other stuff. And yeah. say digestive. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for dietary, yeah, 10 to 12 weeks minimum. Yep. But then you can look, it's also a matter of knowing what you're looking for and, and monitoring progress properly in the skin because for a lot of people, the only valid progress for them is going to be complete resolution. Mm-hmm. And until my skin is completely clear, you know, it's not working. But we can see, you know, you can get a lot of motivation from seeing small changes in the skin and that might be, all right, I'm still breaking out, but instead of having 10 new pimples, I've got five or they're yeah. smaller, they're less inflamed, they're healing up quicker, they're less red, they take up less surface area, they're less painful. All of that is amazing progress. And I see people um, see that progress in as little as a week or two. Mm -hmm. Um, Others, you know, maybe three months. But if you're not seeing any change in about, you know, with what you're doing in three months, then you either need to investigate deeper or, or add in a layer of something else on top maybe not switching tactics completely at that point. But okay, if I've tried one, if I've all if I've all I've done is cut out dairy for three months and there's been absolutely zero change. And I mean, absolutely zero change, yeah. I doubt. But, you know, then that's time, to, maybe time to either add in another layer of treatment or, or do deeper investigation or get yeah. But um, if it's 
if you're dealing with acne that is obviously gut or microbiome driven, again, you can see some pretty big change in a matter of weeks with the right treatment, mm-hmm. a matter of a couple of weeks or under a month. But the dietary stuff does generally take a little bit longer if that's all that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't know if we've got time, about how to identify. I was thinking about face mapping earlier. How do I Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, let's talk about that briefly. Be, yeah, yeah, what might, might be driving your acne. But since we've been talking so much about gut health and mm-hmm. and I did mention earlier that if if it, if acne is going to be a really androgen or testosterone-driven process, then it's more likely to affect those androgen-sensitive areas, the chest, the shoulders, the neck, the jawline and the chin. But when it's more gut or microbiome-driven, I'm often seeing acne around the mouth or the sides of the mouth and sort of between the mouth and the chin or the upper lip and the forehead. And so if I see someone with almost like a an acne goatee or an what would you call it when they're like those really dirty mo's like in the porn like porno movies yes. and stuff like that, like comes down the side of the mouth. And if you were to put your, you know, index fingers up to your nose and create a triangle, it's yes. going to be all contained in that area. Then I, I often see those areas really driven by gut and microbiome stuff and that's when we'll investigate or look into the impact of gut health and constipation on the hormone side of things and the forehead as well so those are probably the two most commonly affected areas that you can get um, hormonal acne on the cheeks but also Mm -hmm. looking at what the the pimple or the cyst looks like because a more hormonally driven acne presentation is often more cystic more nodular deeper painful blind Mm. red cysts and lesions whereas if someone's got more a smattering of really superficial little pustular pussy whiteheads or smaller little pinprick sized dots that sort of come up and clear within a couple of days rather than sticking around for a month you know those smaller more superficial presentations I'm thinking more about gut and microbiome health um, and even detoxification and you know is the person a smoker or what else might be impacting detoxification because the skin is an organ of elimination for the body. Yeah. Um, those smaller, more pustular little ones that come and go within a couple of days, I'm thinking even more might be triggered purely by diet or a big weekend of too much alcohol and cheese and wine and all the good stuff. If you're breaking out <laughs> on Monday after a weekend like that, um, the dietary triggers are going to occur a bit quicker, whereas the, the really deep hormonal stuff they can take weeks to come up and weeks to go away and then scarring and it's a longer process usually yeah yeah and we're recording this just after easter so if anyone yeah (laughs) getting that after the long weekend then Uh, that's that's definitely an indication it's food yeah i have i'm thinking of um maybe i might throw in the the naturopathy towel and start making like skin friendly chocolate because (laughs) I haven't found an Easter egg on the shelf that I I could eat or would eat. Mm. I love that. Yeah, we didn't really. I'm the biggest chocolate, like dark chocolate fan, but Mm. I actually only had like I was kind of sad. I only had one chocolate of East. I don't know why. That's just what happened. Well, it is what happens, (laughs) and it's funny. Like I think that the last three or four years as well, like everyone's given up on giving me any sort of Easter egg. (laughs) 
before. I think I've had half a crust, hot crust bun this year and that's it. And a bit of, um, oh, the Whitaker's dark chocolate in New Zealand is amazing. I'm, oh. I'm, and I'm looking at the back of it and I'm actually, oh, this is actually too bad because it's, yeah, very low. Anyway, it's 92%. Most people don't want to eat that. Yeah, so I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I eat like 90 or 100 sometimes. Yeah. My partner's like, that's dirt. Like, yuck. yeah. Get away from I, me. Well, your taste change, right? Your yes. taste change and suddenly the 90% is sweet. So yeah. that's what I was going to say is that as your tastes change, you don't even, you don't even, it's not like we're depriving ourselves, you know, it's, no. you don't want it, um, you don't enjoy it, you feel sick after and it's just like, I'm like, I'm happy to let Easter go and yeah. maybe, maybe make some dark chocolate or yeah, although a hot cross bun doesn't go amiss. I do love those. Yeah, we're fortunate. We've got a great bakery near us that does like um, 48-hour ferment sourdough oh, hot cross buns. Yum, and, yum. yeah, they're heavenly. But anyway, yeah. we digress. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'd to love... everyone listening, stop eating hot cross buns. And <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your program, which is coming up soon, um, and then also – direct listeners to where they can get in touch with you, Lexi, and find out more about working with you? Yeah, for sure. So my online program, Confident and Clear, is a 12-week online course. There's two components to it. So you pretty much get my entire like in-clinic method for identifying the underlying cause of acne and then resolving it holistically um, using the the framework and the you know supplements and and dietary recommendations that I give out in clinic so it's kind of like a a DIY version of working with me one-to-one you don't actually need to have a consultation to do this yourself so that's so confident and clear I I do have that available on evergreen but we're starting a new round coming up in a few weeks um, a new live round so with the live round there's also the live support calls with me so you can actually still get that tailored approach by joining, jumping online, jumping online with me in a call and um, talking about what we cover in the course and getting that, you know, any um, tailored uh, dosages and yeah. support that you might need. You get that aspect as well. So, so that's coming up in May, and I'm running a free training series as a little taster. So, I don't know if people are going to be listening to this in time for that but um, if you want to jump over onto instagram and follow me at at clear skin with lexi um, i'll be giving away the details and you can register for free there Um, but the program yeah that's uh, the probably the best option for working with me at the moment if you're interested in getting some help with your skin or your acne and i've actually had people come through the course now um, with acne but also other concerns like rosacea and eczema and and still get a good response because the Mm -hmm. great thing about naturopathy is that you don't always need a diagnosis or to you know have it exactly pinpointed because a lot of the time it all comes down to the same sort of thing rectifying the gut health correcting the digestive symptoms you know normalizing the hormones getting the diet right that's going to help in a lot of different areas not just acne yeah yeah absolutely mm. it's that root cause once you fix that big thing at the bottom as you said yeah. at the pyramid then often um all those things higher up just improve on their own yeah 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 and everyone's got their thing you know everyone's got their <laughs> their sore their sore point so yeah working on that will often help in a number of areas amazing well thank you so much for coming on the show i've loved this conversation with you today and yeah i think it's a really important one acne is obviously something that can be a really sensitive and self-conscious area for a lot of people so if that's something that you struggle with then definitely get in touch with lexi please do and uh and yeah it's it's so you might not know anyone else with acne but 
80 to 85% of women will experience it at some point. So if that is you right now, then know that you can have clear skin in the future. Amazing. Thank Mm. you. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.